Don't you notice something familiar about that male character? Yeah, both of our lives suck. <laughs> Let's rock. Thanks, Dad. Can I get a woman? No Man Presents, live from the nudie bar, the Married with Children podcast. From Television City in Hollywood, it's the Married with Children podcast, starring Annabelle, Matt, and Luigi. Welcome back to the Married with Children podcast. It's just like Christmas, except with presents. This is Team Australia. We're back the right way up. And we're joined by a special guest from across the Pacific this week. And maybe someone else may drop in and give his two cents too. My name is Annabelle, aka Maridaniac. And I'd swear I'd keep it just as cold in here if I were a man. And wearing a bra. <laughs> Well, my name is Matt, and if any of Channel 7, Channel 9, Channel 10, SBS, or the ABC uh, made a show about my life, I would just laugh at them and go, you guys are just sad. <laughs> Hi, and this is Luigi. I'm warning you, if they replace this podcast with Full House again, I'm going to hold you all responsible. <laughs> <laughs> And thanks for having me back in the Australian nudie bar. You had the VB nice and cold waiting for me to come. I mean, it's nice that the Australians drink their beer uh, cold, unlike the Brits, right? So <laughs> I agree. Really I really appreciated that. <laughs> yeah, beer's always cold down here, Luigi. No need to panic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we um, I almost got Alex on the plane today to join us, right? It was going to be his first time in the Australian nudie bar, but... Uh, Unfortunately, uh, scheduling didn't seem to work in our favor today. But thanks for having me. We are reviewing one of, if not the most meta Married with Children episodes ever, No Pot to Peas In. And that title is a pun on the saying, No Pot to Piss In, or No Pot to Pee In, you know, meaning that someone's broke. Season 9, Episode 9, directed by Jerry Cohen, Written by John Glenn Houston. Originally aired November 6, 1994. Guest cast. Yeah, and you're going to be reading for about 30 minutes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so guest starring in this episode, we have George Weiner as Ronald N. Michaels, Leonard Kelly Young as Mel, Lisa Kaysen as Patty, Steve Hack as Lou, Bruce Fine as Ben, Alexandra Ann McLeod as Carrie, Jennifer Massey as Marla, 
Mark Barrier as Washington, JJ Johnston as security guard, Rochelle Swanson as woman one, and Amber Van Lent as woman two. And I think later on in the podcast, I refer to JJ Johnston as Johnson. I do apologize, but I can't read. Al's life has been turned into a sitcom. Don't you notice something familiar about that character? Yeah, both our lives suck, but this show is too close for comfort. Son, don't you think it's time you got a real girlfriend? Dad, I do have a real girlfriend. It's just a doll pig! Married with Children, part of Fox's all-new November Sunday. Good evening, podcast family, and welcome to the second first annual Bundy Financial Crisis Summit meeting. Before we get to this episode, we're first going to take a look at an episode of another sitcom, Sanford and Son. And the episode in question is titled Steinberg and Son. Because we think it's going to make for some very interesting discussion or revelations. Yes, because if you've seen that episode, it's going to be very interesting to watch this Married with Children episode. That was Season 5, Episode 5, which originally aired 10th of October, 1975. And it was written by Sol Turtletaub and Bernie Orstein. And of course, Sanford and Son is based on Steptoe and Son, which was created by Galton and Simpson in the UK. And in America, it was developed by Norman Lear. But we're talking about a particular episode called Steinberg and Son. Where's everybody going to dress up so nice? But we, we, we got tickets to the hottest, newest TV show in town. Yeah? Yeah, we're going to see the taping of Steinberg and Son. <laughs> hey, got an extra ticket? Oh, I'm sorry, Bubba. Rollo could only get four. Oh, uh, you know something? I love that show, Fred. It's just like it was a direct copy from your life. Yeah. Yeah, mean, grouchy old father. Wait a minute. The dumb son. Wait a minute, Bubba. The ugly sister-in-law. Watch it, sucker. And the stupid bonding friend. You're too hard on yourself, Bubba. Yeah. Well, have fun. And tell me about when you all get back, you hear? All right. <laughs> I, I, I think Bubba's right. That, sh that, that show Steinberg and son is a lot like you and Lamont. And that, and that Aunt Ethel is exactly like you, Esther. And that dumb friend is exactly like you. Only not as dumb. No, well, well see, I, I don't agree with that at all. I mean, that, that dumb friend is, is nothing like me. If we can prove that they copping our life, we can sue them for a million dollars. A million dollars? Well, Fred, you, you, you know that dumb friend on that show? It, it's me to a T. <laughs> yeah, that's right, Fred. Be honest now. Tell the truth. I, I'm dumb, right? Son, I think his case is stronger than ours. Let's go. Let's go. Luigi, you should talk a little bit more about this. All right, so... When I so I was a big fan as a kid of Sanford and Son, and uh, I watched it. Obviously, it was in uh, reruns and syndication during the 1980s. And when this Married with Children episode aired in 1994, I was like, "Wow, this reminds me of this Sanford and Son episode entitled Steinberg and Son." 
And it's a show within a show. It's effectively a show of taken from Fred Sanford's life. And what they did was they actually reversed it. They, they took this, you know, black sitcom, which was originally supposed to have been a Jewish sitcom, from what I understand, if you read some of the history of Sanford and Son, and they flipped it so that the show within the show was a Jewish family that was a mirror image of the Sanford family. And much of the plot is almost identical to what Married with Children did. I mean, there are some minor differences, but it's pretty much the same thing. This, what was interesting about this episode was that there are a couple of stars on it, people who became big stars. For example, Robert Guillaume from Benson fame, he plays Fred Sanford's lawyer. John Larroquette, who was, he plays the Sanford's son, the Steinberg son, excuse me, he was on Night Court. Uh, and there are a couple of other people. Albert Hall plays Bernie Taub. Jane Lambert was Aunt Ethel. And Lou Jacoby plays Max Steinberg slash Bert Lipson. And interestingly, in Married with Children, the character of the producer Ron Michaels, which is an amalgamation of Ron Levitt and Michael G. Moy, in Steinberg and Son episode of Sanford and Son, it was Saul Green and Bernie Taub in place of Saul Turtletaub and Bernie Orenstein, who were also the producers. So it was written by the show's producers. So again, this is, as Annabelle, you mentioned it as meta. And Matt, you're a big Sanford and Son fan as well. I sure am, Luigi. I sure am. So uh, to add to what Luigi said, I'll give a bit of a background for those of you on the podcast who aren't familiar with Sanford and Son. So its origins begin in 1962 in the mother country known as the UK, where on the BBC, Ray Galton and Alan Simpson brought Steptoe and Son to the screen. Now, Steptoe and Son is one of the very few British t programs that still exist in its entirety because the creators were smart enough to actually make copies of every single episode. So they would actually make copies of each episode after they aired so they weren't wiped, as was typical BBC practice or British practice at the time. So, uh, yeah, so we came on in black and white, six, went through between 62 and 74 well, two separate since, since, one between 62 and 65, the other between 70 and 74, the later of which was in colour. And obviously, as, as those of you know, Sanford and Son came along in early 72, about a year after All in the Family premiered on rival CBS. So Sanford and Son was on NBC, but as um, uh, Anna or Luigi said, it was um, brought to life by Norman, the legendary Norman Lear. And I've seen both of them. I prefer Sanford and Son. Uh, I mean, Template and Built on it more. Uh, but don't get me wrong, I like Steptoe and Son. And I just want to quickly plug a Steptoe and Son episode I recommend to you all. Especially over the past year with all these cor coronavirus um, lockdowns and whatnot. Watch the episode Div Divided We Stand, which is where Albert and Harold, the British origins of Fred and Lamont, actually literally split the house down the literal middle, including the kitchen sink. It's hilarious. And they kill can't stand each other. Did either of you ever see the follow-up Sanford? No, I haven't seen it myself, Luigi. Yeah, I did. I did. The, the Lamont character, yeah, in Sanford, the Lamont character, so Damon Wilson did not want to continue. So he went off, I think he was working in Alaska or something yeah. like that. And some friend of his, which who was like a big white guy, like with like a southern accent, comes over and lives with Fred and takes the place of Lamont and there's like a lot of slapstick I guess between the two of them it didn't last very long uh, I'm gonna say it was a few 
maybe one or two seasons at most. It, it was two seasons top. I never saw it, but it was just interesting that there was a follow up that I'd never seen. And but also interesting in this regard is because Michael Moy wrote one episode of Sanford. And it's from season one, episode six. It's called Younger Than Springtime Am I in 1980. Nice. Yeah. And like I said, I remember uh, in syndication in the 80s, because I was only two years old, uh, you know, when (laughs) Sanford debuted. It was almost like a continuation of Sanford and Son in terms of the way they syndicated it. So there was a period of time, I'm going to say it was probably like around 1986, 1987, that I remember seeing it. Uh, I wasn't really a big fan of it at that point in time either. I mean, it was very young, but I mean, I just thought that the the dynamic of the show really without Damon Wilson was, it was really gone. I feel like one of the other things that they did was, if I remember correctly, it's almost like they retroconned it a little bit because at the end of Sanford, Sanford and Son, there was the, the whole concept of the hotel that they were running, like they converted Julio's junkyard into a hotel. The, the Sanford Arms, and I feel like that that they had removed that continuity out, or maybe or maybe it was like it was more of an ensemble. I don't remember now, but I do remember watching the show. I, I although I can't remember all the details. No, I don't think it was a success on the whole, and and I think Red Fox kind of struggled to find further sitcom success after that. He did, um, but he did do a, he did do a show in the very early '90s called Royal Family. And again, that was short-lived as well. And yeah, he you, you died. Might, you, yeah, because he, he passed away halfway through. <laughs> he died on through. set, as I recall. <laughs> yeah, very sad. But uh, yeah, he died on set. But um, I seem to recall Al Al Bundy mentioning Royal Family in early 1992. You know, in the Egg and I, he said, "I'll never star on Royal Family." <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And and, <laughs> and Red Fox's character's name in Royal Family was Al. Uh, I was Jack K. Harry from 227. She was on that show as well. And I remember watching Royal Family. Again, it, it, it probably la- it lasted a very short time. Like, it, like I, I probably ran, I'm going to say, maybe a few months. And then all of a sudden, Red Fox died. And that was the end of it. Yeah, I think they tried to retool it or something. And they brought in Jackie. But yeah, but I never saw it because I don't think it made its way here. Or if it did, it completely slipped me by. It would have um, most likely bombed if it made it here. And uh, I mean... Was Sanford and Son on here? Anna, did you, did, did you even your mum or dad watch Sanford and Son? I know Steptoe and Son was big here in Australia on the ABC. Oh, that that was huge. And that's sort of more my parents' speed. They love the UK stuff more than the American stuff. So Steptoe I sort of watched more of. But but both shows I remember seeing. So I don't, they would have been, all, all been in reruns, obviously. But I, I don't know when I saw Sanford and Son. I haven't seen that much of it it certainly hasn't been repeated often enough like a lot of the norman lear shows so it's one show on my list that i would love to see every episode of but i definitely step two was more popular here yeah agreed just curious that's all uh, i knew it was i think it was more popular but i just wasn't sure if sanford and son was that that popular here at all um and if it lived in the same city as you anna i would loan you my dvds <laughs> Although I, I will say, uh, Steptoe and Son, probably, if it played in the U.S., it would have been on PBS. Right, Annabelle? Yeah. Like all the good British television that your friends will insist is better than bad American television. television. <laughs> I murdered that quote, but you know what I mean. So, uh, interesting, looking up the royal family cast list, I noticed Jack A. 
And also the, the little girl in that show was Naya Rivera, who went on to star on Glee, and she passed away just recently. Oh. And so, so she was a child star, and so that's, that's probably where she got her start. Hmm. Just a side note. All right, so back to Married with Children. This is No Pot to Peas In, and it's written by somebody called John Glenn Houston. And this is his only writing credit, at least according to IMDb, and perhaps his only credit full stop, because I'm trying to find information on, on, on this dude and I can't find anything. And I'm wondering if that's a made-up name or if I just made up that fact myself to explain why there's no other credits for him. You know how like some directors in Hollywood, they don't want to be identified, so they take the name Alan Smithy? Yeah. You know, they might they put it on a, a movie that they don't want credit for, something like that. So I'm wondering if, you know, someone or like a group of people have put this episode together and, and they have taken it from the Sanford and Son episode and they, they don't want to admit that, so they've they've made up a, a fake name and slapped it on there. I'm just theorizing. <laughs> I have no proof of this whatsoever. And, and you know, Annabelle, it's interesting you mentioned that thing about uh, John Glenn Houston. I have a feeling. Now, Ron Levitt was gone by this point in time. I'm wondering if the writing credit was maybe the two of them. Yes, I, it very well could have. Or it could be Ron sneaking in without, like, maybe he didn't get paid for it or, or something like that. But that's a very strong possibility. And I like yes. that. And we open on Al's first annual Bundy Financial Crisis Summit meeting. And guess who's attended? Nobody. Good evening, family. And welcome to the first annual Bundy Financial Crisis Summit meeting. Uh, hello, Shop at Home Network. Yes, I'd like to order your Brazilian amethyst dinner ring. And, uh, can I get a dinner to go with that? While I have your attention, let's go over some of last month's bills. I'm sure we'll find a little fat here in our budget. Renewal notice for biggins. Ah, oh, let's try another one here. Aha! The Larry Storch School of Acting. Al, becoming an actress is very important to Kelly, and you will not break her heart by telling her she can't do it. All right, Peg, in that case, you get a job to help pay for it. Poor Kelly. <laughs> now, you know, Annabelle, this is very reminiscent of season six. You remember when we had the baby meetings? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes, you know, indeed. I mean, like, so, like, I mean, the construct of this was very, very similar to that. So this is probably what is like episode three, I'm going to say, of season six. Yeah, they did episode three and five. Yeah. Hell, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I love how she had everyone trained to say, hell, baby. <laughs> <laughs> but Al doesn't have anyone trained. And Peg wants a dinner with the dinner ring. Yeah, Peggy's on the phone doing all this home shopping and... Oh, how big is that box of bills that Al's got? Oh, it gets bigger later. It does, it does, but it's already pretty big. <laughs> Alright, well, the first bill is for... Biggins. Oh, but that's okay. <laughs> of course it is. 
I mean, well, well, actually, you know, one of the questions I have on that, Annabelle, is that, as I recall, and I don't think maybe we've gotten there yet. I mean, like Al has a subscription, and I believe so does Bud. So, you know, where, whose bill is that? Yeah. Uh, well, you think back to High IQ in season six, they had they pretty much all had subscriptions to Playboy or Playgirl. So, I don't know. Maybe it must be ours. I mean, because he admits it, but. Maybe maybe it's like a family discount. Of course, but um, let's, let's assume it's ours. But um, I don't know. Maybe Buddy gets a cheaper one because ours has been a subscriber for who knows how long. Hmm. Oh, but the next bill is for the Larry Storch School of Acting, and this is our very first mention of the Larry Storch School of Acting, and that this is this is this becomes a a running gag in season nine, so to speak, because um, we will eventually meet Larry. Spoiler alert. Mm -hmm. I wonder, Annabelle, if this was sort of either like this was a gag that they did and then it was like, hey, wouldn't it be funny if we got Larry Storch on? Mm. Yeah, a gag, a one-off that took off kind of thing. Yeah. Right. Because it was, I mean, the Larry Storch episodes, episode 20. So this, and they were generally, you know, again, shot in order. So like, so you still have almost two months before they would have shot uh, episode 20 so it just makes you wonder on episode 9 if that was sort of the you know the reason why they got there yeah uh th- yeah because that was episode 16 to pro- be produced but it didn't air until after the the ship happens two part I, I believe and I, I wondered why there was that wait because it's like four weeks out from after they filmed it but maybe they intended it for later but could only get larry earlier but Larry, Larry Storch, he's, he's still alive and kicking. Well, I say kicking. He's on Facebook and somebody runs his Facebook page. And I have tried to contact him, but sadly, no go. But he's still alive. He's 98 years old. You ever see war dance? Oh, I see war dance many moons ago. Many, many, many moons. You and your moons! <laughs> when? 42 years ago, last August. <laughs> War dance very much like a um, rain dance, only drier. <laughs> you run around fire, you jump up the dust <laughs> and look savage. That ain't no war dance! No? No! Look, Sarge, you and the chief get your signal straight about the cannon. I'll take the boys and show them how to do a war dance. All right, come on, you braves, follow me. <laughs> For those who don't know, Lawrence Samuel Storch, born January 8, 1923, is an American actor, voice actor, comedian, but best known for his comic television roles, particularly in cartoon shows such as Mr. Whoopi on Tennessee Tuxedo and his Tales, and as his live-action role of the bumbling Corporal Randolph Agarn on F Troop. 
Okay, so F Troop is a satirical American television sitcom western about U.S. soldiers and Native Americans in the Wild West during the 1860s that originally aired for two seasons on the American ABC, not the Australian one, unless it was on there too. Actually, I think it was, thanks to Steve Owen, he told me. (laughs) It debuted in the United States on the 14th of September, 1965, and concluded its run on the 6th of April, 1967, total of 65 episodes. The series relied heavily on character-based humour, verbal and visual gags, slapstick, physical comedy, and burlesque comedy makeup. The, the prime ingredients of F Troop. The series played fast and loose with historical events and people, and often parodied them for comical effect. There were some indirect references made to the culture of the 60s, such as a Play Brave Club, or parody of a Playboy Club, and two rock and roll bands, one which performed songs written in what was then the present day. Ken Berry, who played Captain Wilton Parmenter on F Troop, was prominent on the Carol Burnett show and later Mama's Family. Yeah. And we're going to talk about um, that a little bit later. It's one of the reasons why we wanted to talk about Carol Burnett show. Uh, and we'll get there soon. Now, I mean, I think one of the reasons why I think F Troop was mentioned it was is that, remember, it was a satirical TV show. So... Again, a lot of the Married with Children haters don't necessarily understand is that Married with Children was a satirical mm. television sitcom as well. So, like, there was a lot of parallels in terms of, you know, the reality of F Troop versus, you know, the reality that we get on Married with Children. Yes. Yeah, that's a good point. So, yeah, Kelly is part of the Larry Storch School of Acting. We'll hear a little bit more about that later this episode, well, when Kelly comes in, and later this season. But you know, becoming an actress is very important to Kelly and Peg should get a job to help pay for it. No. Uh, yeah. But yes, another bill is, uh, well, obviously it was implied that Peggy is spending a lot on shopping. Shock horror. By the way, Peg, you could do your part by cutting down on this shopping network too. Hey, I don't shop that much. Hey, Mom, the stuff you ordered is here. <laughs> Doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, I believe it fills the entire front yard. Yeah, I think some people in the last year and a half or so will be, will sort of think that's a familiar sighting, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the days before Amazon. Yeah. I mean, that's that is Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Dad, guess what happened? I am up for a role in a sitcom. It's called Peas in a Pod, and it's about this family named the Peases, and they live in this house, and their lives, and what goes on in their house, and their lives. Fox? (laughs) Yeah, how'd you know? Oh, joy. My boxcar willy tapes are here. And my tiara. (laughs) I tell you. It is just like Christmas, except with presents. <laughs> what else you got? Mommy stuff. Get out of here. So, uh, yeah, Pe- Kelly has come in. She's wearing a big jacket, and she's wearing, proudly displaying her Larry Storch School of Acting T-shirt, which I love that they made those. And she's up, because Kelly's an actress now, she is now up for a role in a sitcom, which is pretty awesome. It is, it is, um, which she described as being uh, rather generic. <laughs> well, it's about this family 
they're named the Pisas and they live in this house and, and their lives and, and what goes on in their house and their lives. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a great story story plot, right? Yeah, who wrote it? Um, uh, <laughs> was it Snap, Crackle or Pop? Uh, yes. <laughs> well, guess, guess what network it's on. Uh, I don't think it's CBS. I don't think it's NBC. <laughs> uh, it's not either ABC, and PBS would never go for this sort of thing, so that only leaves Fox. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the things Peggy gets is um, boxcar willy tapes. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> and the cassette tapes. Do you remember cassette tapes? Wow. I remember those days. But uh, speaking of Boxcar Willie, um, let's see old Travis Martin, who lived between the 1st of September 1931 and passed away on the 12th of April 1999, was also known as Boxcar Willie. He was an American country music singer-songwriter and Air Force personnel sergeant. He sang in the old-time hobo, or homeless person um, for non-Americans, music style, complete with a dirty face, overalls, and a floppy hat. It was originally a character in a ballad he wrote, but he adopted it as his stage name, because it must have taken off big time after that song. Yeah, and, like, you know, it makes you wonder, like, on uh, Peg's uh, listening habits, right? Like, what the hell is she listening to? <laughs> I mean, we know she likes country music, right? You know, we've, we've yeah. seen her uh, singing. Like, uh, she had the accord, like the little concertina. Uh, she sing, she does the hoot nanny with uh, the uh, the wanker triplets, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just the, the last week's episode when she had the concertina and playing Blow the Man Down. I mean, it's... <laughs> I mean, Alan Pegger sort of paired in their love of older music. Anyway, I'm up for the role of the daughter. How's this for cosmic irony? In real life, I actually am one. <laughs> what are the odds? Indeed, but pumpkin... Daddy, I have to get this part. I am perfect for it. Look. Blonde. Perky. Lit... Literate. <laughs> Plus, add that to the skills that I learned at Larry Storch's. <laughs> and I'm shoo-in. Hey, bud, tryouts are tomorrow. Come help me rehearse my lines. What's in it for me? I'll let you touch a picture of my friend Cindy. Where? <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's see, I have an unemployed actress for a daughter. A son who'd have sex with a fire hydrant. Oh, happy day. My TV Guide cover collector plates are here. That. <laughs> Gee, I wonder where the next bolt of lightning will strike. I guess this isn't a good time to tell him I haven't been comfortable with my sexuality lately. So Kelly asked Bud for help to learn lines, and he's like, what's in it for me? And Kelly gives him an offer of touching a picture of her friend Cindy. <laughs> touching a picture. <laughs> and I'm wondering if this is her friend Cindy from season six and Kelly does Hollywood. Do you remember her? 
Yeah. She was the, the hot redhead. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now, as I recall, we were right in the middle of men's butts. Cindy? <laughs> who do you think has the cutest butt? I do. <laughs> oh, but they were talking about men's butts. That's right. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Uh, That's some, some great lines, sir. <laughs> Speaking of great lines, I don't know why, but Al's describing Bud as someone who'd have sex with a fire hydrant. <laughs> <laughs> Cracks me up. Yes. <laughs> Gross. Yeah, I've got, got in my notes here. Uh, oh, I went a bit too far. Uh, yeah, Al claims Bud would bang a fire hydrant, and then he refers to Peg as that. Bang a fire hydrant. <laughs> but something else Peg bought is TV Guide cover collector plates. And I know a few people who would love these. Yeah, and I don't know. Did you notice the uh, pictures on the uh, TV Guide collector plates? I recognize one person. Yeah, they are images we have seen before. They seem to be covers of actual TV guides that have been used on the show before. It's either Tina Yothers or it could be Joanna Kearns from Growing Pains. And that's yet another connection because way back in the late 70s, Joanna Kearns and Katie Segal were roommates. They were in Two Gentlemen of Verona together. They were chorus girls together. And I think they're still friendly today. <laughs> and curiously enough, she's now directed a couple of episodes of Fuller House. Oh, yes. I do recognize yeah. that one. It was uh, Growing Pains. And the other one like appeared to be like some kind of cop drama. It was like three guys behind boxes with uh, guns. Yeah, I know the image. Every time I see it, I go, oh, I should look that up because I know what that is. It's either, oh, I don't know, it could be Hill Street Blues for all I know, but, or Miami Vice or something. Yeah, I, I guess if any of our fans are listening, maybe if you if you know, drop it in the comment section. And uh, going back a little bit, uh, the cosmic irony of um, Kelly playing the daughter when she happens to be one. <laughs> what are the odds? I know, what are the odds? Hey, Kel, blonde, perky, somewhat literate. Lit, 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 lit. <laughs> I said somewhat. <laughs> <laughs> but Buck, Buck's got a problem too. What's his deal? He's actually questioning which way he swings, which where he, which which way, which way, he, which which sort of dogs he prefers. <laughs> yeah, and you know that was that was funny because uh, Buck in the early seasons is very much like a. a I guess like a horn dog, right? Because like he he bangs up all of the uh, dogs in the neighborhood, right? Was yeah. it knocks up knocks up all the bitches in the neighborhood? I think that was <laughs> the line, right? And then like as we get to the end of the series, it's like we get this line where it's like he's uh, not uh, comfortable in his sexuality, and then I think when Buck becomes lucky, like you have uh, also like a transformation, right? Yeah, yeah. Very, you know, like it's just interesting. Again, it's all for co comedic effect, but uh, and again, continuity be damned. But just you know, <laughs> funny. They go for laughs, yeah. Yeah. So Kelly is now in the audition room. Snap, crackle, pop, mom. Why do they always say that? 
I mean, the snap, okay, and maybe the crackle, but you never hear the pop. And what's the deal with tricks? Uh, th th that'll be fine, Miss Bundy. Thank you. Well, you know, I can do the scene a couple different ways. Can any of them be funny? <laughs> okay, half dome. <laughs> we all know I'm not going to get this part. But before I go, I have to ask you one question. I swear, Miss Bundy, we would keep it just as cold in here if you were a man. <laughs> and wearing a bra. No, not that. I was just wondering, when did television get so weird? I mean, nobody eats breakfast at the table anymore. And cereal. I mean, come on. When I was growing up, we were lucky if we got toaster leavings. <laughs> toaster leavings? Leave-ins. The queue is silent. <laughs> They're the crumbs that you find at the bottom of a toaster. We were practically raised on them. Toaster leave-ins. Mm. I like it. Uh, write that down. Come on, Ron, I'm a pro. I'm not taking notes from some kid. Would you rather go back to Full House? <laughs> Toaster leave-ins, you say. And before we get to her scene, the dialogue she's reading, um, you'll notice the posters on the wall in the producer's office. They're, I just mentioned Kelly Does Hollywood, but they, they are posters that we see in the hallway at NBS in Kelly Does Hollywood Part Two, did you recognise those posters, Matt? Uh, they, they did bring a ring a bell, yes. Because as I mentioned before on this podcast, I watched obviously rewatched the whole series in 2020. So uh, yes, I, and then obviously rewatched um, No Put to Peasant again for the to take the notes of this. So yeah, I did it actually um, a little well a little while back, but I did rewatch it to get the notes. So the posters did ring a bell. Yeah, it's Art Alonte Pi. And there's also Amos and Andrew, but Amos and Andrew is the one that has the creators of the show, Michael Moy and Ron Levitt, in the picture. And the guy, the producer that Kelly is auditioning for, his name yeah. is Ron Michaels. Ah, uh, yes, Ron Ron, Ron. Ron and Michaels, if you look at the yes. name tag. Ron and Michaels. Um, yeah. <laughs> I like it. And the, other, and the other thing is, if you're looking at the TV playing in the background while Kelly's delivering her lines. That's the Three Stooges. Of course it is. <laughs> Certainly. Yeah. <laughs> and the, actually, I'm looking at it now. The poster behind the television is the, another one from the Kelly Does Hollywood episode. It's me and the Shiksa. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm looking at his desk. It's very messy, but nothing I can really see that stands out it's just you know traditional a lot of stuff a lot of mess um he's not really paying attention to kelly i think he's got food on the table looks like a burger like a, a macca's cheeseburger do you say macca's it's mcdonald's no we would say a big mac a big mac yeah <laughs> from from burger king no 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 a, a, <laughs> a burger king has a whopper Oh, oh right, yes, right. Bur Burger King is the I Whopper. My own. Mc yeah. McDonald's is a Big Mac. Yes, I know. I shouldn't know that. I do know that. Remember the home of the Whopper jockey shorts? <laughs> yeah. yeah. How could I forget? <laughs> Certainly. Certainly. Well, speaking of food, the the scene that Kelly is reading from is is a family eating breakfast, and she mentions snap, crackle, and pop. So it's a reference to the Kellogg's breakfast cereal, Rice Krispies, or 
as we say, Matt, rice bubbles here in Australia. That's right. And they also make uh, rice bubbles, on a side note, do make nice um, treats. So They do. Yeah, I, you know, and the way that, uh, you know, Christina Applegate delivers the lines, it's very much like Jerry Seinfeld. I mean, she's trying to do like a bad imitation of Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah. That's pretty much what the way that Seinfeld would have, you know, delivered those lines, right? Snap, crackle, pop. I yeah. mean, like, what's you know, the like, deal? Well, with, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, in, in, in um, Gilbert Gottfried did the same thing in Ship Happens Part Two. Yeah, he did a pretty good impression. Yeah. Uh, yes. It, yeah. It's sort of, you know, I had to say boring, but, you know, sort of mundane sort of lines of, you know, just a, a show about nothing. So, but it's a family, a family show about nothing. They're just eating breakfast and just wondering, what's the deal with Rice Krispies? Yeah. And, you know, and, I mean, and at this point in time, Seinfeld had really come into its stride. This was probably like what, like about like season five. I'm going to save Seinfeld, in 1994. Yeah, it would have started late '89. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I'd say that was really like the the. I, I'd say like I remember this time period. It's like I was the married with children fan, and then there were people who were like, oh well, you know, I, I really like Seinfeld, and they're very different types of comedy. And actually, I never watched Seinfeld until after it uh, after its first run. Just because it's like I, I wouldn't give up on my Bundys. So, you know, <laughs> but I do appreciate Seinfeld. Uh, I, I've definitely grown an appreciation for it. But it's a very different type of humor. Yeah, it certainly is. And I have watched all of Seinfeld and I do like it. Uh, it's one of those shows that arguably got better as it went on. And my husband is a big fan of Seinfeld and he actually often lists, lists Seinfeld and Married Children as two of his top TV shows along with Trailer Park Boys. Nice. Okay. Just to give you a, 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 an overview of his tastes in sitcoms. <laughs> well, your husband's got good, good taste, Anna. Your husband has very good taste, much like yourself. Yeah, yeah you, you married well, Annabelle. I did, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, what is the deal with tricks? I mean, Matt, do, we, we don't have tricks cereal here, do we? Uh, I don't think we do. Let me just look it up, because it may be one of those cereals that's known in a different name here. yeah. Yeah, so tr Trix is uh, one of those, uh, it's more of like a, a sugary cereal. It has um, uh, these, um, uh, what am I going to, what do you call them? Almost like cartoon characters in the shapes of, the marshmallows are in the shapes of these different you know, cartoon animals. I remember eating it as a kid. It has a rabbit, like the mascot is a rabbit. There's a Trix rabbit, and the, the, the punchline is, silly rabbit, tricks are for kids. <laughs> yes, although the original Tricks from 1954 was composed of more than 46% sugar. Oh, yum. Yeah, so what is there, an organic version nowadays? <laughs> oh, let me guess, probably made with aguave and uh, um, Kale. sweeteners. <laughs> but yes, the original version was more of a sweet than a cereal. Really laced with cocaine back then, for all that we know. <laughs> Just like your Coca-Cola, right? Indeed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, uh, so um, I couldn't help but notice, even before it was pointed out, that um, Kelly is not wearing a bra again. And and you know that was like the one question I should have asked Juliet Tablack back uh, when I interviewed her with Chris Gunter. Both Christina Applegate and Juliet were braless most of the time in season nine, and I'm like wondering, like, okay, I mean, I asked her about wardrobe, 
And you know, like I just asked her, it's like, were you comfortable with sometimes some of the wardrobe that you wore? And she said she felt comfortable with it. But I just, uh, I should have asked the question. It's like, were you comfortable that it's like, it appears that you were always asked to be braless? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of wish you asked that too. It may, it may have been come off a bit creepy for maybe, a man maybe. asking a, a woman. But yeah, I mean, she might have mentioned it herself if, if you like, hinted at it or, or something like that. But yeah, I think she mentioned that what she wore on the show was kind of what she was wearing in real life anyway, except for the, the negligees. And, you know, one of the things I'll say, like with the negligees is that uh, there would always be like the, it would be shorts at the bottom. Yeah. Right. You know, like they wouldn't have just like open. Cause like you would imagine like most people in like in real life would probably be wearing again, maybe like a long nightgown. Right. Or non- mm. long negligee, not necessarily with the shorts, but I think for television, you know, they couldn't have uh, any uh, wardrobe malfunctions. You know, <laughs> they need to, you know, have some insurance on that. Indeed, yeah. Yes. Otherwise, she'd be wearing a long negligee like like Peggy was. So I'm just wondering, when did television get so weird? I mean, when I was growing up, we were lucky if we got toaster leavens. Hit with a Q. Yeah, Q. And, Silent Q. Oh, yeah, the queue is silent, Matt. But you notice she said toaster leavens here, but way back in season four, Bud and Kelly had toaster shakens. Yeah. So it's, it's the same deal, but it's just they called it something different. I don't know if that's intentional or not. Probably they just forgot what they called it. And, you know, uh, you know, and to that question that Kelly asks about when did television get weird, I'm going to say right around this time. Mm-hmm. I'd say, you know, the mid-90s is when political correctness really started to seep its way into American television. This was also the time in the U.S. when cable had started to take off. So the network dominance that had been, you know, pretty much the way things had been since the 1950s, all of that had started to change because now the size of TV audiences has dropped on these network stations and people started to watch things that were on cable. It was the beginning days of it but a lot had started to change and i think like if anything you know married with children by this point was one of those holdbacks you know one of those shows that had begun in the mid 80s that probably one of the few that were still on in this type of format particularly because it was uh, had such shock value yeah and now and yeah around this time shows were sort of taking their lead lead from seinfeld and sort of the new wave of the new popular shows and Friends started around at at this time, and in fact, in 1994. So, yeah, exactly what you said. I can't really add much to that. No, neither can I. But yeah, um, the producer Ron N. Michaels he likes the idea of toaster leavens. <laughs> and there's an amazing jab at Full House. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so he asks Kelly for more information about her family life. Uh, tell us some more about your family life, Miss Bundy. Okay. Well, first there's my father. Now, you know how you have the dad, he's all happy and glad to be home? Well, in my family, it's not really the case. So here we get an amazing montage set to Love and Marriage, which was not replaced, unlike the theme music on the DVDs, because they, they wouldn't know unless they'd watch the episodes. <laughs> exactly. Thank goodness it was left in. Amen. Yeah, oh yeah, when I got the, my DVD collection back in the early 2000s, I, I was happy about that. I was like, they can't replace the music here. I was like, please, God, no. <laughs> Thankfully, they did. They kept it. It's the same with um, 
the season 7 opener where you hear the theme music at the end when everybody asks Al for money. So, yeah, they're clearly just replacing music they were told to. They had no idea, because they don't care about the show, that there was going to be incidental love and marriage instrumental music during the show. Or it could be the fact that it is instrumental and they removed anything that had Frank Sinatra's voice. Because there's another one in season 11 in Kelly's Got a Habit when they watch Married Children on TV. Meta. Well, you, well, you know what it could have also have been? Just sort of like how we do with our Audacity files. It's like if the music was there within the track, they couldn't remove it. They could do sort of the beginning and the end. Mm. You could almost like re redo it. But yes. like it was almost like you know you mute the you mute the sound and remember back then everything was still analog. Yeah, so, true. So you wouldn't have been able to do it the, the the way you could do it today, because like they were talking and you already had like the music there on the track. You really couldn't remove it. Uh, actually, a great question because I do know like for example, music for WKRP in Cincinnati, they had replaced some of the real music with like some of these like studio uh, renditions right mm. so and i just think you know how did they do it yes indeed sacrilege that that was ultimate tv sacrilege what they've done to that show i mean admittedly i haven't seen wakp in cincinnati but um the main reason being well the butcher to the old dvd set meant to uh, like why bother yes yeah, and that's why i never bought it yeah i think you're right it could be embedded in the episode track or it could be, you know, like the movies, how they put music in post-production, yeah. so which which makes it easier to take out and replace when 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 they're in the mixing stage, or they just don't care and didn't notice. But you know, it's to our advantage that it's still there, and it's a great montage. It sums up Al and Peg and Kelly and Bud and Marcy Jefferson and Buck. I won't tell you all the episodes that the clips come from. You can look that up on Wikipedia. But yeah, it's really cool to hear that music and whoever, and I assume Jonathan Wolf just put the love and marriage instrumental parts together, how it sort of loops around like that. I just, I, I like things like that. Well, then of course there's me. <laughs> but Kelly's highlight reel, oh, I shouldn't have mentioned Kelly in the previous round, uh, because her highlight reel is um, not clips from the show, it's things that she's made up. Oh yeah. <laughs> she got uh, all A pluses from Harvard. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. <laughs> I like the one where she's advising President Reagan. <laughs> oh, yeah. And Gorbachev. When she winks over at Gorbachev, right? Yes. Gives, gives him a wink, right? <laughs> and a modern-day Marie, Cu- Marie Curie. <laughs> mm. Oh, that's an interesting point, because Kelly, oh, we'll come to the, that's in season 10, we'll come to that. That's what it's like to be a part of my family. <laughs> Uh, thank you, Miss Bundy. That was enlightening. So you mean to get to be on Peas in a Pod? No, but I am casting for the lead in the Mother Teresa story. Would you mind disrobing and saying, oh, the children? Alas, Kelly does not get to be in Peas in a Pod. But he is casting for the lead in the Mother Teresa story. Would she mind us robing and saying, oh, the children? 
Oh, the children, which uh, I believe Winston, or, or or was it Newport, or was it uh, Lambert and Pauper, said, oh, the children in England show number two, when uh, he said that the village children were looking forward to a hanging. I think it was Benson and Hedges. Yeah, yeah, Winston and Hedges. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, I have a question for you two. Like, where does that come from? Like, I'm saying, like, this is the second time we've heard, oh, the children. I mean, is the, did it come from, like, some movie or some something in television? Well, I thought it was biblical. But for an over-reference, I'm not actually sure because I did look and can't really find a lot. I mean, certainly nothing connecting to Mother Teresa, unless I'm completely wrong but i'm i'm hardly someone to be going looking up catholic references yeah i'm not i'm not, I'm not the most of catholic references either yeah no, so i i just it's like you know like in other words it's like it's we've heard it twice it's very specific so i'm trying to figure out where does oh the children come from again mm-hmm. mind you winston was the first one to say it so i don't know maybe some of our listeners know yeah because i i didn't know that good evening family And welcome to the second, first, (laughs) annual Bundy Financial Crisis Summit meeting. Hey guys. Hey daddy. Guess what today is? The pathetic continuation of yesterday. (laughs) No, it's the premiere of Peas in a Pod on Fox. Hey, let's turn it on. I gotta see that bimbo they got to play my part. Fox Network viewing positions. Peg, hit the button. So, one month later, and it's the second first annual Bundy Financial Crisis Summit meeting. A nice little running gag that Al has a bigger box of bills. Yes, a bigger box and uh, makes you, oh, probably more home shopping and biggins, to be honest. <laughs> but it's it's time for the premiere of Peas in a Pod. Fuck, quick, Fox Network viewing positions. Assume Fox viewing positions. <laughs> All right, so this is also a very specific joke that, um, you know, we talked about during the uh, Worst Noel I spoke about it, but I guess let me, we'll refresh people's memories of this. So the joke about the Fox viewing positions is about the beginnings of the Fox network that's really going to be lost on most people today. So when the Fox network debuted, it opted to affiliate with what were many second tier independent UHF TV stations in markets where more established independent stations declined the affiliation such as Denver, Phoenix, and St. Louis. Largely because of this, Fox was in a situation very similar to what the Dumont television network had experienced before in the 1950s and had little choice but to affiliate with UHF stations in all except a few, mainly larger markets like New York City and Dallas, where the network gained clearance. If a viewer wanted to see Fox in 1987, to 1988, he or she would need to play with their television antenna positions on the UHF band, which would have correlated to channels 14 to 83 in the United States. So I watched Fox in New York City, so it it was on the VHF band, but 
uh, really what they're talking about was unless you were like in a major metropolitan area, most likely you were watching Fox on a UHF band. And again, something that most people today <laughs> in 2021 have no idea what I'm talking about, especially if they're under the age of like 35. <laughs> uh, I'm one of the rare exceptions, Luigi. I mean, being only, well, 30, um, I've known a lot about VHF and UHF because TV in Australia was all VHF until 1980. Interesting. Whereas um, European, channel, well, European countries have, been, have used UHF since the 1960s. So, yeah, Fox Network viewing positions became a thing, even though they really only did it twice. I mean, there's other references, of course, but they assumed these positions again in Season 10, Episode 5, in How Blean Was My Kelly. So now we get this sitcom called Peas in a Pod. <laughs> Take a mom and a dad And two kids and a dog Put them all in a house with a mouse you got Peas in a pod Peas, 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 peas in a pod Well, this certainly looks like another winner. <laughs> That room looks familiar. Ah, you know those sitcoms, they all look alike. <laughs> Will you look at that god-awful couch? Yeah, that's funny. In the scene that I read, it started with everybody eating breakfast. Boys, my life suck. Thank God I got the house to myself. Hey, Chuck. And they call me stupid. I just told Patty left some dinner for me. What's this? Dear Mel, I'm at the neighbor's. Dinner's at the grocery store. Wait a minute. I don't remember this. Hey, you know something, Peg? This show is pretty good. <laughs> Stupid wife. Now what am I supposed to eat? Toaster leavings? <laughs> Boy, does my life suck. That living room looks very familiar. Yeah, but this is this is immediately. <laughs> now, you know, if when you look at the set, it's pretty much the same set. Like, they change the colors of the appliances. The dog's a different breed. Like, the front door is a different door. But otherwise, it's the same exact set. And at the beginning of the podcast, we talked about Steinberg and Son. And they pretty much did the same thing. You hold it down. <laughs> All right, folks, here we go. Get ready. Relax. And enjoy Steinberg and Son. That's a sloppy house in that filthy yard. That's just like your place. You shut up, Brady. Although in Steinberg and Son, it was the exact same set. Hmm. It was, right down to the individual bits of junk, like the old guitar in the Sanford living room. Yeah, this, this Bundy living room copy, it, it's, it's, yeah, like you say, exactly the same layout, 
and the plates on the wall and everything, but all the appliances are different. I did notice there is a dishwasher <laughs> in that sort of ugly 70s colour. But what what stood out to me was the the chairs, like the dining room chairs, and then you got these chairs shaped like hands that were near the next to the phone on the breakfast bar there. They kind of gross me out. <laughs> but yeah, god-awful couch, but the Bundy's couch looks better. And the actor... Well, an actor playing a character called Mel Pease comes in. And I love that he's immediately pushed to the side by an NFL on Fox promo. <laughs> ID, station ID, whatever. So NFL on Fox is the branding used for broadcasts of the National Football League in America, um, of games produced by Fox Sports and televised on the Fox Broadcasting Company. And the network aired its inaugural NFL game telecast on August 12th, 1994, so not long before this episode, with a preseason game between the Denver Broncos and the San Francisco 49ers. Coverage formally began the following month on September 4th, with the premiere of Fox NFL Sunday, followed by a slate of six regionally televised regular season games on the first Sunday of the 1994 season. something familiar about that Mel character? Yeah, both of our lives suck. Well, I guess it could be a coincidence. Hi, Mel. I'm home. <laughs> Look what I got from the Shop at Home Network. A whole week's worth of bonbons. <laughs> Where are we supposed to put them? Well, I'm supposed to keep them cool. How about your side of the bed? <laughs> well? Well, I, I told him about my family. I didn't think they were going to steal it. And what? Pray tell, did you tell them about me? Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. Hi, Ben. Hi, Naomi. <laughs> Can she and I go to the movies tonight? Son, don't you think it's time you got a real girlfriend? Dad, I do have a real girlfriend. It's just that this one puts out. <laughs> it's a doll. <laughs> so, who enjoyed Peas in a Pod? I quite liked it. Uh, I, I'd watch if it was a real show, but obviously we've got Peas in a Pod in real life. <laughs> I mean, it was much more outrageous than a typical Married with Children episode, right? In terms mm. of what we're seeing. Like the the caricatures of like... So Mel Pease is much more overt in saying like his life sucks. 
<laughs> you know, the, the the wife seems more even more over the top than Peg, including the kids, like everyone. Like in other words, yeah, remember yeah. like how, how the the bud, uh, <laughs> the bud lookalike comes down and it's like he's holding the rubber. <laughs> <laughs> rubber woman like yeah. you know, Bud wouldn't actually do that like you would like he would we would talk about it but you wouldn't see it no like in this yeah. case, you're actually seeing it yeah last trace of subtlety is just completely gone yeah yeah see so yeah, okay, Patty the wife and Bud um Bud's actually Bud's blood is boiling um when I was watching to take the notes to this I actually watched um this I took the notes to this to, just before Christmas so I got written down oh no it's a blow up doll almost spat up my, my mince pie <laughs> <laughs> So Bud is actually Ben, and Ke- Kelly is Carrie. Yes, Peg is Patty, and Al is Mel. I suppose they were going for a, a short name that ended with Al, with L. When Mel comes in, he is like he's eating something. I mean, Al doesn't Food? eat. <laughs> right. He's just like shoving something in his mouth. Yeah. So, and even Isis has been renamed. She's Naomi. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I should mention the guy playing Ben, the Bud lookalike, his name, the actor's name is Bruce Fine. And what's interesting to note is that you remember in season eight, episode three in Proud to Be Your Bud, he, Bruce Fine, he was Bud's stunt double in that episode. We we never saw his face because it's it's clearly implied to be David Faustino, but he's Bud's stunt double he's the same height as bud but he's got a thicker face thicker neck so in this episode we can actually see his face and i always suspected that you know it could be possible that he was the guy in proud to be your bud playing faustino's body double and it got confirmed for me on bruce fine's instagram because he and david faustino are friends and he hosted like he he does online chats and things i mean everybody did last year but he did a a live chat with david faustino on instagram and they confirmed the fact that he was on the show and played his double in that episode so it's just an interesting fact that i'd always always suspected that it might be the case because they like to reuse actors a lot and and things like this and you know married with children did have its own stuntman in the form of frank lloyd but these two faustino and bruce fine became friends and he was his stunt double in season eight but now here in season nine, we can actually see his face and he gets to speak. Cool. So in come Marcy and Jefferson. Or Marla and Washington. Are you guys watching this new show? <laughs> this is the greatest. It's like watching a family of chimps that can talk. <laughs> no, it's not. It's us. Yeah, Kelly went down to try out for the show. She told the writers about us and got plagiarized. I did not. They just took my idea. <laughs> well, even so, I say it's time we start looking at ourselves and laughing more. Yeah, personally, I'd be flattered if somebody satirized us on TV. <laughs> Mel Pease, did you back your rambler into our trash cans again? Oh, hi, Marla. Were those trash cans? I thought the feed store dropped off another load of pigeon chow. I am not a pigeon! Washington, are you going to let him talk to me like that? Hit him! What? And break a nail? (laughs) 
so what am I now? Just some uh, mindless pretty boy gold digging gigolo? <laughs> You're darn right I'm not. <laughs> so what'd you tell them about yourself, Kel? That you graduated from Yale? Harvard. <laughs> oh, come on. Just be thankful at least one of our reputations is still good. <laughs> Hi, Daddy. Hi, Carrie. I'm just going to spend the night with a few of my school chums here. Okay, Buttercup, but don't do anything I wouldn't do. Which, in Mel's case, means don't do anything. <laughs> oh, yes, Mother in Washington. <laughs> uh, so, you know, Jefferson says that they look, they're a family of chimps, right? Yes, he does. He said it's like it's like watching a family of chimps who can talk, and I just found that interesting in hindsight because in two thousand two, <laughs> there was a show called the Rerun Show. It didn't last very long, but basically they would take episodes of old sitcoms and redo them with a completely different theme or whatever. And they did it twice with Married with Children. One of them they did with the Osbournes as the Bundys, actors playing the Osbournes as the Bundys. <laughs> this is when the Osbournes first came out. Sure. But the other episode is one where they had actors dressed as chimps playing the Bundys. Like, like Planet they, of the Apes with Married with Children? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and they did the episode Dance Show. And in that episode, I mean, seriously, watch it because it's it's like TV on crack because <laughs> it's actors dressed as chimps playing the Bundys in a direct remake of Dance Show. And guess who plays the Pete character, the husband that was played by Homer Simpson? It's David Faustino. Nice. He comes in. Not as a chimp, but as like a, a caveman. He's got the loincloth on. So he comes in <laughs> as the jilted husband to talk to a chimp as Al. Check it out. I will it's have on to. YouTube. Yeah. All right. We'll put a link uh, for our, our listeners uh, on our Facebook page. It's awesome. extraordinary. <laughs> anyway, back to peas in a pod. Yes. Uh, Mar on I noticed on the IMDB cast list they put Marla's last name as Marla Dala. <laughs> we, we, never, we don't hear her, her last name in the show, but it says Washington Dala and Marla the Pigeon Dala. So they've given her a rhyming name like Marcy Darcy. Of course. But Marla asks if Mel P's back did you back your rambler into our trash cans again? So, <laughs> that's a reference to the AMC Rambler, which was a compact car that was manufactured uh, between 1958 and 1969. This was like one of those cars that, almost like the Ford Pinto, had like a bad reputation. Mm -hmm. It was like a, it was probably, I'm going to say, one of the first American compacts. Okay. All right. So, instead of a Dodge or a Plymouth <laughs> Duster, he's... Yeah, and, and 
And remember, like this was by AMC. So AMC was one of the independent automakers because like you had the big three, you had Ford, General Motors and Chrysler. And AMC was like the, the fourth one. And originally there were like these smaller independent car companies of the um, that sort of survived like World War II. Uh, companies, for example, like Packard uh, that lived into the 1950s and there was a few of them and what happened was they they sort of all came together and made this fourth company that lasted into the 70s if i'm not mistaken you know it was considered sort of like lower quality like it wasn't as prominent as you know the big three so you could say that they are the fox network of car makers the fourth right. network <laughs> yes absolutely yep exactly cool. right we did not get AMCs here in Australia unless he actually brought them over, so they were not sold here, Luigi. Well, here it's 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 Holden versus Ford, pretty much. Yes, historically, although Japanese cars in particular have become more and more popular since the 70s. Yes, I have a 24-year-old Japanese car. I have a 15-year-old Japanese car. <laughs> so it was uh, formed in 1954, and it was the merger of Nash... Kelvinator Corporation and Hudson Motor Car Company. So there was like a, a, a Hudson Hornet uh, automobile at one point, uh, Nash Motors. And again, like it's literally just took all of these like, you know, <laughs> smaller companies and uh, put them together. And it ceased to exist. It was in 1987, it says here. All right. So it lasted that long, but I mean, it really wasn't that relevant. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So then the Pacer wasn't... Uh, no, excuse me. It was the Rambler. I said, if you if you look at the pictures of an AMC Rambler, you sort of understand, like you know, when you put it up against uh, the pieces of it. I think the only like successful part was the Jeep, which then got sold off to Chrysler at one point. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So instead of a chicken, Marla is referred to as a pigeon. Yes. Well, it was always going to be a bird reference. I mean, Kelly did go the full full Monty when telling the, I'm assuming NBS executives, all right, Fox executives, my bad. I was thinking back to Kelly does Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. Um, and <laughs> Al is loving this. Of course he is. <laughs> well, he says that, you know, both our lives suck. <laughs> <laughs> Did you even notice what Ke um, Carrie was doing on Pe Peas in a Pod with her army and school chums? Yes. <laughs> she was smoking. <laughs> I love that. Uh, clearly, the the writers and producers got enough from Kelly auditioning that they managed to write a character exactly like her in this sitcom. <laughs> yeah, they could see through her act of, oh, I went to Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, and the actress who plays Carrie is Alexandra Ann McLeod, who is known today as Alex McLeod. And she is the original host of the home design hit Trading Spaces. Ah, oh. and I think she's been in Married to Children before. She was um, in season seven in the old college try. She's one of the coeds that Bud is next door to. I think she come, they, the three of them come out of the shower, and I think she's the one who... After Al chases them in, she says, oh, your grandpa got lost. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Al, we've got 
something. What? Sue. What, Sue Fox to get wet. <laughs> what, an NFL mug or a lunch date with John Madden? <laughs> oh, well, an apology would be nice. I say we go down there right now and call them on it, Daddy. We? Please. They took my creative virginity. She's got a point there, Dad. She, she could have still had that. Everyone except Al is not liking peas in a pod. So they've got to do something. And Mel, uh, Mel, Marcy suggests suing. And Al says, sue. Sue Fox and get what? Uh, an NFL mug or a lunch date with John Madden? <laughs> <laughs> So I, I, yeah, I mean, I think part part of the joke there uh, has to do with you know again going back to 1994, and even and I think to the beginning of the Fox Network when Married Children began, there wasn't it wasn't a, this monolith like it is today. So I think the joke is it's like well if you go I think they're referring to the Fox of 1987. It's like Fox is broke. <laughs> They don't have money. Like, it'd be different if you were, like, suing NBC or suing ABC or CBS at the time. Yeah. And, and yeah. John Madden, I think he was, he was sort of new to Fox at this time, I think. He's a, an American former football coach and sportscaster. I know I mean he's a sportscaster, not that I follow football. But he won the Super Bowl as head coach of the Oakland Raiders and after retiring from coaching became a well-known color commentator for NFL telecasts and was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2006. And he's widely known for the long-running Madden NFL video game series he endorsed and fronted since 1988. But he's worked as a color analyst for all four major networks. So CBS from 79 to 93, and then Fox from 1994 to 2001. Your eyes are getting heavy. You are asleep. You will sit mesmerized by a young to rice bond. And we'll throw in dancing lessons from Dion at no extra cost. Now just hold those thoughts for a month or two, and you'll be golden. The NFL on Fox. Same game, more attitude. And after he was on NBC in 2008, he retired from broadcasting after that NFL season to spend more time with his family. But he's written several books and has served as a commercial pitchman for various products. Yeah. I remember one of his more famous ones was he was a spokesman for Ace Hardware. And the tagline was, Ace is a place for me. <laughs> there was a whole series of commercials in the 90s. Nice. They love getting sports people to do commercials. I mean, I, that one didn't come to us, obviously, but yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all. No. Okay. So, yeah, they're going to sue. Well, try to sue, but they're going to go down to the station and, and see what happens. But Al says... <laughs> all right, we'll go down there, but I'm warning you, if they replace this show with Don Rickles again, I'm going to hold you all responsible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we're going to talk about Rickles now, but, you know, unfortunately, Alex, who was going to be on this podcast, uh, had to run. It was an emergency. So I wanted to just take a pause a little and talk about Rickles. Now, Don Rickles is an American comedian, actor, author, and he's especially known for his insult comedies. His film roles include Run Silent, Run Deep with Clark Gable, Kelly's Heroes with Clint Eastwood. And beginning in 1976, he had a two-year run 
starring in the NBC television sitcom CPO Sharkley. He was a headline performer at Las Vegas Hotel Casinos and a peripheral member of the Rat Pack via his friendship with Frank Sinatra. Rickles received widespread exposure as a frequent guest on talk and variety shows, including The Dean Martin Show, The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson, and The Late Show with David Letterman. And he later voiced Mr. Potato Head in the Toy Story franchise. He won a Primetime Emmy Award for the 2000 documentary Mr. Warmth, The Doc Rickles Project. He died in 2017. Now, in the early 80s, Rickles began performing with Steve Lawrence in concerts in Las Vegas. In 1983, the duo co-hosted Foul Ups, Bleepers and Blunders, an imitation of TV's bloopers and practical jokes. In 1985, when Frank Sinatra was asked to perform at Ronald Reagan's second inaugural ball, he insisted that Rickles be allowed to perform and do it unrehearsed. Rickles considered this performance the highlight of his career. And you should check that out on YouTube. You can easily find it. In 1990, he appeared in the second season of Tales from the Crypt in The Ventriloquist Dummy, and in 1992, he was cast in Instant Blood, directed by John Landis. Now, there are there's sort of two references that we have to talk about here. In season eight, and if you listen to the podcast in season eight, Annabelle was <laughs> kind enough to provide us with promos. And there were promos for Daddy Dearest, which was a show he starred in with Richard Lewis. The show ran right after Married with Children, and his character's name was Al. So, do we notice a pattern here? <laughs> and, um, in 1995, he portrayed Billy Sherbert in Casino. And again, we said, talked about how he voiced Mr. Potato Head in, in Toy Story. Uh, in Toy Story, Toy Story 2. Also starred in the sequel to Dennis the Menace in 1998 called Dennis the Menace Strikes Again. And in 1998, he portrayed a film theater manager in Dirty Work and voiced Cornwall, one of the heads of the two-headed dragon in the quest for Camelot. Now, one of the things I have to thank Alex for. So when uh, Annabelle and I were research team members before we were doing hosting of the podcast, we were members of the uh, research team. And I actually worked on these notes. uh, I'm going to say, what was it? uh, Back in uh, well before uh, Alex uh, decided he wanted to step away from the show. Yeah, at least a year ago. Yeah. So what happened was... As I was doing this reference on Don Rickles, I'm like, you know, okay, like, why was Don Rickles mentioned? So, like, you try to, like, dig in again. I always try to get into the head of the act of the writer to try to understand. It's like, where does this reference come from? And at first, I thought that the reference had to do with Daddy Dearest. But I solved this longstanding Married with Children mystery that I've wondered since I started watching the show. And it's this thing about what is the thing about the job of shoe salesman that makes it so terrible. Right. So, so Matt. Yep. So it's like, you know, of all the jobs that they could have thought of, why shoe salesman? I mean, like he could have, like his job could have been that, let's say he had to like, you know, go into a cesspool and like, you know, and be shoveling, you know, (laughs) you know, (laughs) you know, all day. I mean, that could have been maybe the worst job. Like, why is it that shoe salesman, became like you know was this joke because you know i don't think you see it as much in season one and season two but i think as you get into season three like they really played up this thing that the shoe salesman is the worst job in the world 
and they have plenty of jokes, right, Annabelle? I guess as the years, you know, through the seasons. Yeah, and yeah, um, opportunity for customers. Yes, right. So as I was researching this, and you know, I guess we had to wait until now, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to join you guys on this show. It was the question of it's like where where did this shoe salesman thing come from? And as I was researching Rickles, I found the answer. I believe I found the answer. And Annabelle, I think you agree with me on this one, right? I agree too. I've I've seen this some sketch myself. What you could talk <laughs> about? Yes. Yes. So here's the big reveal. On November 11th, 1968, in the second season of the Carol Burnett Show, Rickles performed a skit called "The Shoe Salesman." as a character named Rudolph McKenzie. He performed this skit with Harvey Corman and Nanette Febre. And I am almost dead positive that this is where Levitt and Moyer came up with Al Bundy's profession. One afternoon last week, I went into a store to buy a pair of shoes, and it seemed to me that the poor clerk was on the verge of a nervous breakdown, because selling shoes to women is not the easiest job in the world, as illustrated for us now by Nanette Fabre, Harvey Corman, and Don Rickle. Get out! Get out and, 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 and don't come back. I'm warning you, don't come back. You have fat feet, you hear me? Fat feet! You don't need a shoe store, you need a blacksmith. Get out of here! You're a heavy old woman, I don't want you in here anymore. Heavy woman! Hope your eyes will swell up. Four and a half, give me a four and a half. You can get a four and a half on her big toe, that broad. Rudy! Oh, I gotta control myself. With this kind of hairline, I don't get too many jobs. Here he comes, it's time for a lecture. Oh. train coming by? <laughs> what? What is it, Mr. Fonsworth, sir? Rudy, that is the fifth customer you've insulted today. Mr. Fonsworth, just for the record, just to be fair, you're wrong. It happens to be the sixth. The sixth, but I'll try. You fresh thing. Now look. <laughs> the dainty shoe company has a reputation to uphold. If there's one thing we cannot tolerate, it is sarcasm on the part of a fresh salesperson. The first joke is about uh, he's yelling at a woman telling her that she should go see a blacksmith. (laughs) (laughs) Through the wizardry of, you know, Google Documents and Google Drive, like we could do full text index searches of all of the scripts of married children, which we have. And this was the only reference made to Don Rickles in the entire run of the show, which since like they're parodying them themselves... It makes me wonder if this was their homage to Rickles being the inspiration for Al's profession. Awesome. It, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, it's certainly very plausible and one of the many, many reasons I would love to interview Michael Moy and get inside his head and ask him questions like this. I mean, it is interesting that it is the only reference to Don Rickles on the entire show and it's... And and I think most people would probably think it's probably a reference to Daddy Dearest because it used to be a show that ran right after Married with Children at the time, back in season eight. We're talking a season ago. But, yeah, this is a great little piece of TV history and that you've unearthed. And, it, yeah, I mean, I'm inclined to believe it. I mean, I have no reason to doubt it that this is where they came up with Al's occupation. I mean... 
like you say, there are worse jobs. And I'm trying to think if there's, you know, other older sitcoms or television shows that had shoe salesman characters. I think there was a one-off in the Andy Griffith show. Someone was a, a down and on down on his luck shoe salesman type. I don't have any further information on that, but we'll see if I can look it yeah, up. Yeah, I mean, it, it's got to be. You know, where did it come from? Why shoe salesman? I believe the name is. Oh, here we are. Wilbur Finch is the na- name of the shoe salesman. He was a down and out shoe salesman who finds himself in Mayberry, North Carolina, which is where the Andy Griffith show was set. Aunt B and her gossip and friends try to prove to Andy that they aren't the only ones in town who gossip. They plant a small seed of doubt in Andy's ear about who Wilbur truly is, and soon enough, the rumour mill begins. Eventually, they believe Wilbur, the shoe salesman, is a Hollywood talent scout as well. He was played by Jack Finch, and the episode is called Those Gossip and Men, and it originally aired January 16th, 1961. Okay, so that was a one-off, yeah? Yeah, one off, and yeah. yeah, I mean, 60 years old, that's older than both my parents. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of his other characters that other, uh, have been mentioned as shoe salesmen. Certainly nothing prominent, like our Al. But yeah, this Don Rickles sketch is certainly fascinating, and it and it's a great sketch anyway. And yeah, the blacksmith joke kind of sold it for me. So and you remember back in season one, Al says, yeah, the blacksmith's right around the corner. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and what and what other connection do we have to Carol Burnett? Well, the Carol Burnett alumnus Tim Conway, of course, he would come into the show next season. We'll see him in a recurring role as Peggy's father, Ephraim Wanker. Yes, I liked him as Ephraim. This was, you know, for me, this was the light bulb. And again, I have to thank the podcast and I have to thank Alex because I I can tell you first run. Probably, I'm going to say, like in 1988, 1989, there's this question in the back of my head. And I'm like, where does this shoe salesman thing come from? Because it's there's there's no reason why they chose this profession. And like they continually harp about how it's the worst job in the world. And, you know, like I'm thinking to myself, like, there's got to be worse jobs than this. Like, why mm. in this Married with Children universe do they make the job of shoe salesman so terrible? Yeah, and and like and I guess it's just something that always nagged. Like remember, like I remember when I first appeared on this podcast. You know, I, I think one of the comments I made was, you know, if I ever had an opportunity to speak to Moye, right, or some like or uh, one of or whether whether it was Ed O'Neill or someone, it's like I would ask that question. It's like, why was this profession, you know, so vilified? You know, because it's got to be something. And when I came across this, I'd like, oh, finally, I said, this is it. This is what it's got to be. And I actually, I watched the entire clip. It's about 10 minutes long. If you watch the entire clip of uh, Don Rickles being Rudolph McKenzie, uh, there's actually this one, like toward the end of the scene, uh, Harvey Corman like breaks character. So Nanette Febre is this very difficult woman who, like, who, who drives him to the brink of insanity. And Harvey Corman plays his boss, who's a very effeminate type of man. So, you know, I guess it's implied that he's gay. Hmm. And Rickles' performance is like over the top. And it appears that like Harvey Corman is breaking character. He's just like laughing, like he can't control himself. And that was very one of the staples of uh, the Carol Burnett show, right? Cause yeah, they, he did that often. <laughs> yeah, they stay in character, but it, it was magnificent. And I think all of you should check that out. So awesome. Um, 
So, so Alex, if you're listening, <laughs> uh, thanks for that. And we really appreciate it. And I hope you all enjoy that. And we will have a link to this in the description as well. Real. Yes, certainly another another clip for you all to check out. I mean, unless someone else on the maybe Ron Levitt started off in life as a shoe salesman, I don't know. But maybe. But yeah, this is this is great. Oh, Al, a real show business soundstage. Uh oh, a real show business security guard. I'll handle it, pumpkin. Sorry, folks, the set is off limits. How'd you get by the guard at the gate? They were busy searching Joe Piscopo. What? Piscopo's here again? <laughs> now, now what do we do? I don't know. Find that Ron Michaels guy, I guess. Hey, there he is. You know, I got a good mind to just go over there and give him a piece of it. <laughs> Although, if somebody had a good mind, why would they want to share it with someone they didn't like? I mean, that would kind of be like having your cake and meeting it, too. And what is the deal with tricks? Uh, you know, pumpkin, I've always pumpkin, pumpkin. Perhaps I ought to handle this. Now, you just relax and save your energy for the, um, for, for the ride home. So, they go down to the set, and it's a great shot of what is what could very well be the actual Married with Children set or a very uh, exact replica of it, whether they redressed the Married with Children set and shot it later or just built an identical set next to it, I don't know. But we get the whole view with the studio lights and everything, which is always very cool to me. I think they would have redressed the set if it's anything like what they did yeah. to the Sanford and Son episode, yeah. which was the exact set, or on Home Improvement, how um, well, this is this is obviously different but similar, but the... the Tool Time studio audience was the actual home improvement studio audience, so they could have switched it, but my money is they just redressed the original set. I think so. And, and you know, like what I liked about that Sanford and Son episode is that you actually see what the studio audience looked like. I mean, you actually see like the, the other side of the camera, like what people are seeing. Mm. So, in Married with Children, it was the same concept. It's like, hey, like we can actually see. And, it, and if you also look at it, it's also shot single camera. So when they switch to the Bundys entering the Peas in the Pod set, they have to use single camera, which would make sense. Yeah. 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 So that so that's where my so my money I'm I'm with you, Matt. Uh that's where my money is. And there's a, there's a security guard on set. <laughs> and we get yet another reference to Joe Piscopo. That we do. Yeah, very fav- favorite on this show, that's for sure. He's yeah, he's been referenced We've discussed him before. He's been referenced uh, quite a bit. And and if you've listened to other podcasts, you'll know why. But Joe Piscopo is a comedian actor. He's best probably best known for his work in the early 80s on Saturday Night Live. And um, former SNL writer Ellen L. Fogle became a married to children writer. And he pissed her off in some way. Like he kept me. Yeah, he did something. And to annoy her so little jabs at him uh is uh her payback to him but we've covered this before but interesting about this scene with the security guard is um outtakes from this scene can be seen in the upcoming my favorite married special some of the criminally few bloopers from married with children 
can be seen in that special. And one of them is a couple of takes from this scene with the Piscopos here again and all the Bundys crack up and they do that a couple of times. But the guard, the security guard, is played by an actor named J.J. Johnson. And he's been in Murder Children a few times as well in the past and in more episodes to come. You'll probably, you might remember him about a season ago in season eight in Luck of the Bundys. And he goes all the way back to season one in Where's the Boss? And we will see him a few times, a couple more times in seasons 10 and 11. And J.J. Johnson is um, a good friend of Ed O'Neill's. And they're both big fans of David Mamet's and they've done Mamet plays together. And J.J. Johnson is a former boxer and he's written a lot of books on boxing. So, and Ed O'Neill is a, like he's trained in boxing as well. And so they're both sort of from that same vein. I think they both met in New York when they were both um, struggling actors trying to get work on Broadway and, and on the stage and things like that. But I mentioned he's been in a few episodes. So, and I think he bears the distinction of being the actor who's appeared the most on Married with Children, but playing a different character each and every time, other than, say, Frank Lloyd the stuntman who has all these little bit parts. So, But here is the security guard. <laughs> he gets a few bloopers, which you'll see in an upcoming special, which we won't be reviewing, but it is on the Season 9 DVD. Yep. But, yeah, it's sort of an in-joke, and they, they mention him by name in the special too. It's like, oh, remember JJ with the Joe Piscopo thing? <laughs> but they get the security guard away, <laughs> and, yeah, then they go over to see Ron and Michaels and his writers or his sycophants, and Kelly's got half a mind to go over there and give him a piece of it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Excuse me, Mr. Michaels. I'm Al Bundy. Here. Uh, It's the black Cadillac with the gold trim, and I want it detailed inside and outside this time. (laughs) No, no, no. I'm here to... Cadillac? That's right. <clears throat> anyway, uh, I would just like to say that I'm a huge, huge fan of the show. The acting, the writing. The... Oh, Hi, Hi, Ron. <laughs> the gratuitous use of girls in short skirts. Everything is just great. Look, Bundy, if I need someone to suck up to me, I'll go to my writers. <laughs> What do you want? Well, uh, about a month ago, my daughter Kelly auditioned for the part of Carrie and didn't get it. But when she watched the premiere, she thought you stole her idea and trashed my family. Now, I'm the kind of guy who can roll with the punches, but as you can see, my, my wife and kids are pretty broken up about it. <laughs> Bundy, I've been in this business since... My wife was a baby. <laughs> I've worked with the greats. Bert and Ellie, Danza, Lenny, Squiggy, all of them. You know what I've learned? What? Nothing. <laughs> That's how TV works, Bundy. No rhyme, no reason. We learn less doing it than you folks learn watching it. Huh? Look, between you and me, I'd rather be doing Shakespeare or Keats, but hey, a hit is a hit no matter where it comes from. Now, look here. You betrayed the trust of my little girl, and I think she deserves an apology. I mean, not one of those phony, baloney showbiz types 
But I mean a really, truly heartfelt... House 500 an episode, and I never see your wage slave faces again. Done. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. So Al goes up to Mr. Michaels, and before he can say anything except his name, Ron offers him the keys to his car, which is a black Cadillac. And yeah. he wants it detailed inside and outside this time. All right. And I mentioned that and I mentioned that for something I'll mention in a minute. But Al happily takes his keys. And now we get a a, a reference to Al what I call a meta reference to the show because Al says he's a big fan, you know, the acting, the writing, the gratuitous use of girls and short skirts, everything. <laughs> I mean, it's just really like pointing out. It's like the the show is using that, you know. I mean, they're they're being overtly offensive. Mm. Yes, <laughs> right. I mean, like we're not trying to hide it. No, not at all. Like I said, all subtlety is non-existent. Uh, so yeah, um, Ron, Ron and I have a conversation, and and Ron mentions that. Um, well, first of all, he has a line that he's been in this business since his wife was a baby. <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> oh. Dirty old man. Hang on. Oh, <laughs> dirty old man to quote Septo and Son. That's like the producers making fun of themselves, right? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, when they make fun of someone, they make fun of everybody. It's equal opportunity poking fun. <laughs> but yeah, he goes on to explain that he's worked with the greats, Valerie Bertinelli, Tony Danza, Lenny and Squiggy. <laughs> 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 And uh, interesting about um, uh, Tony Danza, it's uh, Who's the Boss? Although on a different network, it used to be taped on the same lot next to Married with Children, like right next door. And there's an interview somewhere out there with Ed O'Neill on a, a, a talk show that Tony Danza used to host back in 1991, I think. And I saw on David Faustino's Facebook page or Instagram recently that he still has a massive crush on Alyssa Milano and used to film their shows next door to each other and would see her every day and just like stare at her. <laughs> yeah. But he also mentions Lenny and Squiggy, which are the, the guys on Laverne and Shirley, of course. Lenny is Michael McKean, who everybody knows from Spinal Tap and, and Better Call Saul and like everything else, because he's been in everything. And Squiggy is David Lander. And David Lander appeared on Married with Children way back in season three in the Married with Queen sequel. And, yeah, unfortunately he died fairly recently in December of 2020. December the 4th, yes. I remember that pretty well, actually. Yeah, and I'm also wondering, uh, Annabelle, if this is a meta reference where he says Lenny because uh, Ed O'Neill had uh, done... Um, um, of Mice and Men? Of Mice and Men. Thank you. <laughs> It could well be. I mean, this is a, an episode filled with every sort of connection you can think of, so it may very well be. So, a result of this, Ron flashes some money at Al, and Al happily takes it. They get $500 an episode. Well, that sounds good, doesn't it? That does sound like a decent deal. Well, let me just inflate that. Inflation calculator. So, $500 in 1994 money is, uh, hang on, US. Uh, so, $500. Come on. Internet's being a bit slow tonight. Don't mind me. Oh, bit naff. We've got the Australian converter up for him to do that. But, $500 in 1994. 
That's $887.36 an episode in 2021. Oh. And if you convert the two dollar dues in Australia, $1,162.48 an episode. That's not too shabby. For doing nothing. Yeah, for doing... <laughs> Except being ripped off. <laughs> if you like plagiarised. I was not plagiarised. They just stole her idea. Dad, I saw that. I thought that we were going to stand on principle. Well, we could, but I just found out you can reach a little higher when you're standing on a whole bunch of money. Come on, family! And it will be a lot of money, too, Kelly. This show is going to be a hit. It could run forever. Oh, look. It's the Pises. Let's go! Let's go! (laughs) Hi there. I'm, uh... I'm Al Bundy. Ah, Red Viper. And I want the inside and outside detailed this time. (laughs) Here's a Cadillac for you, sweetheart. Just think of it as an apology that goes zero to 60 in seven seconds. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, money wins, money talks. And you can stand on principle, but you can reach a little bit higher when you're standing on a bunch of money. That's right. Yep. You know, I always always love Bud's line from uh, the... um... The Sam Kennison episodes, like quick bud, what's more important, money or love? It's like money, dad, I could always rent love. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> uh, so now we get to see the actors playing the pieces. And again, we go a bit meta here because uh, we've got the actor playing Mel saying, let's go, let's go. Let's, and he's sort of rounding up the cast as the, the lead actor. And not only is he imperatively well-spoken, he's wearing glasses. And, you know, Ed O'Neill, the person, he wears glasses and he's not a bumbling fool like Al. And (laughs) the two casts stare each other down. And they're wearing the same clothes. Yeah, funny about that. Exactly the same. So Al goes over and he meets the actor playing Mel. Yep. And Mel says, ah, Red Viper. Now, two things here. Mm-hmm. First of all, another meta reference because Ed O'Neill around this time drove a Dodge Viper. Yes. You know, one of the awesome ones. He loves his cars. And the second is Al gives Kelly the keys to the Cadillac, even though he literally just got handed the keys to the Viper. So did he mess up? and say the wrong car or did he keep the viper for himself and then fish out the keys from the producer and gave those to kelly and we just didn't see that yeah no i I think he wanted the viper that's what i'm telling myself (laughs) i think i am too yeah that's what i'm telling myself yes (laughs) and uh bud and ben get a good look at each other well ben looks at bud with the amount of disgust you can probably Imagine. So yeah, a bit later, and you know the show's probably going to be a hit. Who knows? Who knows? Hello, Shop at Home Network. 
Yes, I'd like to order your Playmate of the Month action figure set, please. <laughs> hey, Al, don't you think you ought to wait until a show's been on for a while before spending a year's worth of profits? Call royalties, babe. <laughs> and no. Hey, guys, it's almost time for it to come on. Fox Network viewing positions, please. <laughs> All right, Peg, hit the button. Tonight on Fox, stay tuned for... ka The Family Keats. What? Hi, guys, have you heard the news? They canceled Peas in a Pod. What? <laughs> no, I thought it was a hit. Well, some woman in Michigan didn't like it. <laughs> she also didn't like football, so that's gone, too. <laughs> but on the bright side, I hear some wonderful things about this Keats family thing. In the 18th century, was a man wrote poetry, and he had a family. It's the family kids. Starring Don Rickles. You Peg, hand me the remote, please. Uh, Dad, you have it pointing the wrong way. Not if there's a god, pumpkin. <laughs> And Al's ordering the Playmate of the Month action figure set. <laughs> of course he is. So it's time to assume Fox Network viewing positions again. And this time, you notice all the food on the table and all the like the, the debris, the, the rubbish and discarded food cartons and stuff. Yes, yes. I showed Luigi this before, but Matt, if you look at that scene, look at the milk carton that's on the table. All right. I don't know if you have the episode handy, but if you, everybody, if you look at the milk carton on the table and see if you saw what I saw. Okay. Um, yeah, once, once, once we've done, I'll whack it back in and have a look at it. My, my jaw dropped when Annabelle sent that to me and told me to look where I was supposed to look. My jaw dropped. Because I thought we were done with this at the end of, at the last episode of season eight. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I'm just, um, got it online to confirm. Everybody, there's a milk carton on the table that is a reused prop from season eight, episode oh, 22. 25 in production code. 21. I think it's. Yeah, yeah. well, well yeah. okay. Uh, order. In... This is uh, the Ride Scare episode. Yes, in episode from season eight, it's Ride Scare. It's a milk carton that was taken out of the fridge, and on the back, it's got a missing child by the name of Seven. Yep, called it yep. episode tw episode twenty two. You're right, Annabelle. I should have never questioned it. Well, you know, why why should I even think? <laughs> well, I know the production code order. I was like, oh, Annabelle says twenty two. I think it might have been twenty one. I I know that I'm going to be wrong. No, well, doing these in, in episode order, in, in the order that they air is helpful because I don't know the episode order by heart. I mean, I sort of do, but I don't. But I know production order, like the back of my hand. But with uh, episode order, sometimes I get, was that 22 or 23? But yes, this was episode 22 of season eight, Ride Scare. Missing child, seven. Presumably his last name is Wanker. Presumably, yes. <laughs> But that prop is on the tables. 
And I, I, I thought I was the only person who noticed this, but then I looked on Wikipedia for this episode and someone else had noticed it there. So someone else has sharp eyes too. But yeah, I just love discovering new things. It gets me so excited. So they assume the Fox Network's viewing positions again. They're expecting peas in a pod, but what comes on is a different show. Oh, a very different show, I believe. Yes. Oh, do, 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 do. Yeah, I believe it stars... Uh, uh-oh. No, no, no. It's uh, Don Rickles. <laughs> <laughs> now, is Don Rickles playing John Keats? <laughs> well, glad you mentioned John Keats, because John Keats, who was born on Halloween of 1795 and passed away on the 23rd of February 1821, was an English romantic poet. He was prominent in the second generation of romantic poets with Lord Byron and Percy by Shelley, Though his poems were in publication for only four years before he died of tuberculosis at the sad young age of 25. Not very well received by critics of the day, his fame grew posthumously, and by the end of the century, he had become one of the most beloved English poets of a strong influence on many writers. Yeah, and you remember earlier on, uh, well, a couple of minutes earlier in the episode where Ron Michaels says he would rather be working on Shakespeare or Keats? So presumably, Peas in the Pod suck so bad that they asked Ron Michaels to produce another show. So he came up with the family Keats. And again, that reminds me of Kelly Does Hollywood when um, John Lovitz's character is just standing there listening to our list off ideas for TV shows. And then when Kelly's show gets cancelled, he comes on with Shoe Trek or whatever it is. <laughs> and and by the way, if you listen and if you if you watch the Sanford and Son episode, Steinberg and Son, at the end, that's exactly what happens. Well, Grady, about time to get it on, ain't it? Ready when you are, FS. <sighs> and now for the premiere of a brand new comedy about today's teenagers, all in the family way. What? What's wrong here? There you go. Hey, Rollo, you got the right time. Hey, Pop, I know where you're coming from, Jack. You can stop worrying. Steinberg and Son was canceled. Canceled? Yeah, man, cuz said rating was so bad, 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 man. Plus, nobody even watched the show. I thought the show was just terrific. Oh, man, come on, Pop. Admit it, Jack. I mean, it was a bore. I mean, who wants to watch a grouchy old man running across the screen yelling at his son? Man, that's dead. Well, I got a new TV show for me and you, Rollo. Hey, that's Slick Pop. What's it called? Oh, uh, it's called Rollo Derby. That's why I skate all over your face. What happens is Rollo, who plays uh, 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 Damon Wilson's friend, uh, you know, the dummy, quote unquote. <laughs> Yeah. It's just fun. It's fun. It's funny to have like a character, you know, Lamont. You know, his name is Dummy, right? You know, that's what his father refers to him as. So, what's interesting in the Sanford and Son episode is that Fred Sanford uh, ends up becoming like a creative executive producer, and they have him appear on the show. Like, and he sort of like flubs his uh, uh, his lines, and he says, "No, look, we need to redo this." He does his song, "If I Don't Care," from the Ink Spots, and we talked about that at one point. Uh, I believe back in season eight as well. And what happens is when Fred goes to see his premiere, Rollo comes in and says, well, you know, we're showing a new show 
because like the, nobody was watching Steinberg and Sons. And one of the closing scenes is that Fred Sanford with Bubba and Grady are sitting down coming up with titles for new shows. Well, I think we got enough. Call them, Fred. They're sure to like one of them. One of them? Yeah, like all of them. Hey, what you doing, Pop? Oh, son, I was about to call the network. See, listen to these TV shows we came up with. See, the first as a police show based on my life called Kojunk. <laughs> And, and, and I got a new sports show for, for you and your friends, Lamar. Really? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's called Dialing for Dummies. Just <laughs> stop it. You think that's good? Mine is a musical cooking show called Edie and Galvin Gourmet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, son. And here's the topper. I mean, this is the one that should have sell. It's about a family of pioneer plumbers. I'm afraid to ask what it's called. It's called Little Outhouses on the Prairie. <laughs> and like they're using uh, like All in the Family something or other. All in the Family oh, Way. Oh, all in the all Family, family, family yeah, Way. way yeah. and, and like in a couple of other shows, like again, of 70s shows. And it ends up what uh, Al does with John Lovitz is the exact same thing. And it's like here in this episode... It's like, well, we get a reference now to the family, you know, to Keats, because that's what Ron Michael says he wanted to do. So it's like, it's interesting, like it all comes together. But Peas in a Pod got cancelled because some woman in Michigan didn't like it. Yeah, funny how she happens to live in Michigan, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I wonder who that could be a reference to. Ah, I wonder. Oh, it's plaguing my mind here. Uh, Yeah, she plagues mine, doesn't she? But yes, that is, of course, a reference to Terry Ricolta, her married children, well, sort of the bane of Michael Moyer's existence, but <laughs> yeah, we've, like, the podcast has, has devoted an entire show to her. I mean, I say devoted, it's just an episode about her crusade against married with children, and I love that she's just been reduced to a, a throwaway joke like this. Yes. Yeah, and, and you know, to me, like, one of the meta-references there, too, is when Al asks Pegs for the remote, and he points it at his head and hits the button, mm. and all of a sudden it's as if, like, his, you know, he shuts himself off, right? You get, like, the that uh, effect on the screen. Yeah. I, I feel like that was a reference to what they told Terry Ricolta, which was, it's like, if you don't like it, don't watch it. Turn yeah. it off. Yeah. Turn it off. Get a life. Turn it off. And I think, you know, that to me is like, you know, just in broader terms, not just talking about, you know, the whole Terry Ricolta boycott. It's like, in general, it's like, hey, these, this show was, I, I mean, it, it didn't try to shy away from what it was. I mean, it didn't try to teach us uh, some moral. Moral lesson. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. It wasn't trying to teach us a moral lesson. It was just trying to entertain us. And if you didn't like it, if you didn't like the brand of humor, if you didn't like the, the sarcasm or the, the satirizations, you could shut it off. Yeah. Exactly. I, I mean, you know, they weren't being obscene. They weren't. The comedy was very double entendre. Hmm. But it, like that could fly over a lot of people's heads, too, as well. But it wasn't overtly offensive. 
but people could take it to be offensive. And uh, I think that was, uh, that to me is like when I, when we got to that last scene, it's like, I felt like, all right, <laughs> you wanted to shut it off. Boom. Like here's the scene of Al pointing the remote to himself and shutting himself off. Yeah. And just, just on that, um, a few weeks ago, I was very, very, very fortunate to speak briefly with Ed O'Neill himself on a live chat. I posted about it in the, podcast group at the time but of course it was it was a chat with a a, a fine arts um college in california but of course he was still asked a lot of questions about married children um because it was a chat about his career and his life basically so um he was asked a lot about that and of course the question of reboots came up and also you know can married children be played today and someone asked him that and he said, his immediate response is instinct to say, oh, no, I mean, we mentioned midget throwing <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, we made, we made fun of women's weight. And, but then later on in the conversation, he mentioned that I wish I could remember his exact quote or, or even have footage or audio of, of this. But he did mention that, uh, for example, when he when Al would go toe to toe with the fat women in the shoe store, more often than not, it would be the women starting it and our sort of rebutting to this obnoxious woman or whatever because and because Ed did mention something that I think he was asked, you know, was there a time when you didn't want to say something or something like that? And that was an example that he gave. It's just that when Al said something unprovoked to a woman that didn't either didn't deserve it or was just being rude for no reason, like in the later seasons when it got a bit even more outrageous and probably a bit less subtle as we were talking about subtlety. But that was something, you know, if the, if the woman started the altercation, Al would always rebut and give back and more than he got given. But it's always, you know, the women, for example, that they, you know, they could take as well as they could give or, or they could give as well as they could take, I should say. But that was just something that Ed was asked in this chat, not by me, but by someone else. And we got asked a lot of questions like that. And if, you know, if he ever does another live chat, no matter what time it is, I encourage anyone to book a, a ticket or whatever you have to do to get on it because just to talk to him for five seconds was amazing. Yeah, and it's interesting you also say that. So when you look at that Carol Burnett sketch, Rudolph McKenzie, he's doing the exact same thing. He's reacting. Mm. So what you see him is reacting to the, the to the Nanette Fabre character. I mean, she is driving him to the brink of insanity. She's the one who's egging him on. Like he's trying to keep himself composed and finally he loses it. Mm. Yeah, so you can see like sort of the parallels there. And it's true. I mean, the thing, and, and it's true with, you know, if you think about, you know, when I reflect on what you just said, Annabelle, in the early seasons, Al is usually reacting to these women. Yes. It's like really in the later seasons when he's the instigator. Mm. Even like in the very first one, right? He says, you know, you want to, the, the first woman he uh, oh, insults, with the kid? right? Yeah, with the kid. He's like, you know, he's like, you want to, it's like, you know, she's she's annoying him. And then finally he's like, well, can you tell John Henry over there to put the, the shoes <laughs> down? Which is a reference, uh, no one's ever talked about this. It's a reference to this. Um, it was an old thing. Like there was a Disney movie about it. It's like John Henry was this guy who, 
he was like almost like a machine, like you know he could drive like a, a hole through a mountain, you know, to let mm. the train through, and, and like and that's what he's talking about. It's like you know, like almost like a almost like a human jackhammer. <laughs> but um, and like I said, but he's react, but he's reacting to to them, not not so much instigating, but the instigation happens later, and then that's when it doesn't seem as sympathetic as well. Yes, yeah, I th- yeah, and that was the point that certainly Ed was trying to make. That's pretty much the end of Peas in a Pod. And we've come to the end of No Pot Peas In. Yeah. And so the the show ends, like you say, with Al switching off himself. (laughs) I love (laughs) that. Yeah, so do I. And the end credit image. And I can confirm that the the image is still. There's no footage. But it is a, a still image of both families, the Bundys and... The Darcy's together with the Pisas and the Mar- and the Dalas um, posed together around the couch. So I thought that was a nice touch. No, ma'am. We'll be right back to wrap up this week's review. Be sure to join their Facebook group page for all the podcast news and updates. Be sure to subscribe to them on the Apple Podcast app, and please leave a review telling them what you think of the show. To subscribe to their YouTube channel. Just go to channels and search up Married with Children podcast. Join their Patreon and support your favorite podcast with a small monthly donation. You can email them at marriedwchildrenpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for checking out this review. How many annual Bundy Financial Crisis Summit meetings are you having for this episode, Matt? Okay, Anna. Well, I've been in my ha- I'm home for two years now, paying a mortgage, and uh, oh dear, it looks like I'm having five Bundy finet- Family Financial Crisis Summit meetings, and the worst bit is, I live on my own, so I'm the only person to blame for all these bills around here. But enough about that. <laughs> I give this five because, well... Ever since I first watched this, um, when I first watched the series back in 07 and 08, when I got up to this episode, it was a classic for me from right from the start. So, bear in mind, I didn't watch Sanford and Son before I watched this, so this was, this was, I saw this one first. And I've always liked the whole metaness episodes, and uh, where, you know, people meet, like, oh, it's you, oh, it's you. Uh, how they, the Bundys meet their fictional selves within the universe, Kelly waffling about the family, and... Now that, well, I know even more about TV. I worked with Bertinelli, Lenny, Squiggy, and Danza, all the little references like that. Um, just all the, all the massive amount of um, references I can cram in, and uh, well, even back to the Carol Burnett show. Ke- oh, I've got to say that once again, Kelly try- managing not to get her Harvard persona on the TV, because the guys at Fox knew that was just no... And uh, I'm sure there are many more reasons, but uh, those are the main ones that come to me right now. Uh, just going over my notes again. Yeah, so, yes, yeah, just uh, watching the Bundys um, look at their fictional selves with mainly disgust, and even the Darcy's at the Dallas. So, oh, and bonus points to that little um, milk carton. So, there you go. Five financial crisis meetings. Very good. So, Luigi, how many annual Bundy Financial Crisis Summit meetings, are you going to give this episode? I think that I'm going to hold four and a half. 
I I really enjoyed it, I guess, as a fan. Uh, critically looking at the episode, it's like I felt like it was... Uh, it didn't have a lot of home run jokes. Like the, the, the set, you know, like I said, the setup was good. Uh, like watching it the first time, yeah, the whole Sanford and Son uh, connection. You know, again, researching this over a year ago and uh, coming up with this Don Rickles thing, which I uh, kept my mouth closed about. <laughs> uh, I, I felt like we needed to do a big reveal on this one. Um, I thought that that's really like what put it like close to a five, but like I took off half a point just because like I felt like uh, some of the jokes, like there could have been maybe some some more to it that would have just made it like a home run. But this is definitely a fan episode. I think this episode was made for the fans and for people like us who really enjoy it. I mean, just even uh, yesterday, Annabelle, when you pointed out the milk carton, I was like blown, completely blown away when I saw that. I was like, wow. I mean, that's like the ultimate uh, joke that was uh, <laughs> pulled <laughs> on uh, for, for season seven. But I mean, they really referenced, I feel in this episode, like their entire run up to this point in time. I mean, they went back, I think, all the way back to season one, even with just J.J. Johnston appearing on the show. Uh, so I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I said, it, I just can't give it the full five, but uh, I thought it was uh, a great episode and it made a fan like me very happy. Very good, very good. Well, as for myself, I... It's one of those episodes where I'm tossing up between a four and a half and a five Bundy Financial Crisis Summit meetings. And I think I'm, I really want to give it a five. And I'm struggling to think of a reason not to except that it's a one joke episode, if you know what I mean. You know, like you said, maybe there's, there could have been a bit more. Like there's a lot in this episode, but they could have, you know, uh, even like a little B plot that wound its way through and somehow connected to the the main story, or um, um, I don't know something, or you know, like you say, even sharper lines, and because everything is sort of it's a big meta joke, and I love meta references and things that are self referential, and um. You know, when shows make fun of themselves, especially a, a satirical show like this, which it is anyway, but it's just gone completely, you know, full on, 100%. And I'm starting to think I will give it five because with seeing that milk carton, I'm like, oh, they've just, they're just sort of everything here. And there's so many in jokes and connections and um, uh, the whole Sanford and something is very cool. I mean, we know that Michael Moy and Ron Levitt, they came from this world of Norman Lear um, sitcoms like the Jeffersons. And another connection still, Norman Lear is Katie Seagal's godfather and she's interviewed him and he's interviewed her. I mean, he actually introduced her parents to each other. That's why he is her godfather. So she knows the man and he's still alive and kicking and still going in his, what is he, mid-90s? Late nineties? No, late nineties. I oh, would wow. say yeah. he's close to hundred by now, right? Whoa! Yeah, he's got to be. I mean, he's like Carl Reiner's age. <laughs> but yeah, I know he's dead now. But yeah, all these legends, you know, they're still cracking. Yeah, I mean, just references like that and all these connections. I mean, I just love that. And for 
someone who who likes researching shows about shows that they love it's just it's it's just the best kind of work and you know you wish you could get paid for it and and whatever else i mean i think if we i think we've dove about as deep as we can into this I mean, is there more that we could uncover? I mean, the Don Rickles sketch stuff on the Carol Burnett show. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, I feel like it's a special episode. So I think I do have to give it five in that regard because it's one that certainly a lot of people remember. It's definitely a highlight of season nine. It's it's nice that you get to see, you know, you, you get to see some bloopers from it in an upcoming special because there's there's so few of them. And just uh, little things like uh, things you've seen in different in previous episodes, like the milk carton or the posters on the wall. Everything we've just discussed in this episode are things I, I like and I love. I mean, I love satire. I love meta references. So I think I will give it five. I think I've swayed myself to go from a four point five to a five for awesome. Hot to piece in. Awesome. All right. I said I was going, and I'm going. But let me tell you something. I'm not going to just disappear. You'll see me again. Wherever a fat woman shoves a smelly foot (laughs) in front of some poor guy's face, I'll be there. And now, the last word on this episode. Calling in from his two-thirds acre retirement property on Lake Chickamacomico that the government hasn't yet padlocked, Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the creator and executive producer of the Married with Children podcast, Mr. Alex Edwards. Well, I was supposed to be on this recording, but I got called into work, so I'm just dropping my rating for this episode. I don't know how many of how many what you're doing, but... I really enjoy this one. It's definitely one of those ones that stick out in your mind. You could say to somebody years from now, remember that episode where they did a show on the family that resembled the Bundys and they all saw each other and it was that weird like Twilight zone moment. Like it was great. The premise was really good. Obviously it was half taken from Sanford and Son and Kelly going there and describing everything and the montage and then of course it ends with her as a Harvard graduate or whatever, like, that's classic. And just Al thinking the show's hilarious and the confrontation with them and the producer and then just seeing the other family and the producer seeing how broken up everybody was while they're stuffed in their face with food. Just really good stuff. Fun time. One of the better episodes of season nine. I give this one a 4.5 out of 5. I really like this one. That's Al, folks! Okay, so that is the Married Children podcast for this week, Down Under. Tune in next week when the Married Children podcast will be reviewing Dud Bowl. After the funeral of a former football teammate at the Bullpen Sports Bar, an old rival named Jack Franklin challenges Al and his former teammates from Poke High into a grudge football match between them. But Al ends up being turned into a tackling dummy by ringers Bubba Smith, Lawrence Taylor, Kenny Stabler, and John Reynolds on the opposing team. Rest in peace, Skippy. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, uh, this is a lot of fun. Thanks uh, for the invite to Nudie Bar Down Under. Yeah, you're always welcome down here in Australia. Uh, I think I'm going to bring back uh, maybe a 12-pack of uh, VB with me, so I can enjoy it back in the States. So 
Uh, I always appreciate the uh, trip. It's a long trip, but it's worth it. And remember, it's always going to be served cold, unlike British O, which is always served warm. Yes, always served cold. (laughs) Peace out, Bundy fans. The Married with Children podcast is recorded on tape before a live studio audience. 